Good morning, everyone, and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. Today is Sunday, March 1st, 2015. My name is Leah M., and I'm your moderator. The share ID for Friday, February 27th, is 7360. This morning, A Vision for You presents Freedom from Bondage. All of us have come to this program as a result of the suffering, frustration, and pain we experienced compulsively overeating. As real compulsive overeaters, we are bodily and mentally different from others. We have an abnormality of the body, an allergy. Once we put our trigger foods into our body, it reacts in a way that demands more of the same. We are biologically mandated. Our very cells demand to be satisfied beyond our ability to control it. And we have an abnormality of the mind, defective and inherently flawed and suffering from an obsession. We are victims of this mental obsession so subtly powerful that no amount of human willpower can break it. No matter how painful the consequences We don't learn from our experience. This experience of powerlessness becomes the driving force of desperation to be ready and willing to do anything which will free us from the bondage of our affliction. Such is the paradox of the 12-step recovery process. Strength arising out of complete defeat and weakness the loss of one's old life as a condition for finding a new one. Here to present Freedom from Bondage this morning is Marcella M. from Massachusetts. She is a recovered compulsive overeater dedicated to carrying the message of recovery and the hope that there is a way out. Good morning and welcome, Marcella. Good morning, Leah. Good morning, a vision for you. Um, I'm so glad to be here. So I couldn't be happier and more content. Um, there's nowhere in the world that I would be right now but with you. And I'm just perfectly content inside of my body, which is not the way I live most of my life. Um, on my abstinence day, it was February the 22nd of 2010. Um, that day, I very much hope that it's my very last binge. And um, I started counting days that day. Um, I'm 54 years old. Um, I'm 5 feet 4. Um, I weighed, this morning I weighed 133 pounds. My top weight is 211 pounds. Uh, my, my, the lowest that I've ever weighed in my life is 78. I've been diagnosed with anorexia, anorexia nervosa, and bulimia. I'm pretty much the full range of the eating disorders, but never because still it's kind of rare that you're diagnosed with addiction. They give you the label of eating disorders when you go to a facility, and and then they send you to the 12-step program of recovery because there's no other thing. Um, I'm just here to tell you that uh, it's been four years and a week. I couldn't be happier. I'm not hungry. Thank you, thank you, thank you, God. 
I'm not worried about how I look or how much I weigh or what is my size or what am I going to wear tomorrow, what is going to fit. I'm not worried about what is my, my next meal because I know what my next meal is going to be. I don't have the cravings. Thank you, thank you, God. I don't have the cravings. I don't have the 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 nagging longing of when is it going to be the day in which I will eat this again. It doesn't bother me um, right now. I'm, I'm, that's exactly what I call freedom from bondage. Um, so I thought of this topic. I thought of um, talking to you guys because one of my sponsees um, asked me, how does it feel to be recovered? <laughs> we have both agreed that, that she was recovered and ready to carry the message. But she said that she didn't feel any different. And she kept asking, well, how does it feel to be recovered? How does it feel to be recovered? So so in trying to explain her, I thought, well, there's a lot. There's a lot that we can talk about. And if you're a newcomer or if you are struggling with your food or you're a chronic relapser, as I was, because I joined OA in 1985, and I only have four years of abstinent recovery. Four years, that's nothing. Most of my experience in OA has been chronic relapsing. Um, when I first came in, I was, I was pretty much, you know, motivated, and, and, and by then we had, um, I was in Mexico City, living in Mexico City, and, and everybody was instructed to do Three times, uh, eat three times a day with nothing in between, and and there were no foods that were out of line. I mean, we we were we were instructed to eat everything in moderation. And I was 27 years old, and I guess because uh, the disease is progressive, as we know, um, my compulsive overeating and my addictive self wasn't as bad yet. So I got away with eating pretty much everything in moderation, three times a day. And I lost all the weight that I needed to lose. But I couldn't keep it. I just couldn't keep it. And back in that group, which is wonderful, it's a wonderful fellowship, very happy fellowship. Um, there were dances and events and sports events and everything. But nobody even talked about the steps. I mean, there were two postures on the facility, but they're kind of, for all matters, they were just decoration. You know, we, we didn't even know what to do with them. And, 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 and that was it. Three times a day, nothing in between. Tons of meetings, tons of meetings, marathons of meetings, and a lot of loss of weight and, and just fellowship. And, and it didn't stick. It just, I lost it after a year. And, and, and then I would get, like, I never got a year again, ever. Then I got, like, six months or maybe four months and then a week and then three days and then six hours. And then I just couldn't stop. In, in all those years... I defended my right to drink. I defended it. I said, well, I'm not an alcoholic, and, and, and if I drink, I drink a glass of wine every once in a blue moon when I go to a restaurant and, and you know, with my dinner, and, 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 and that's okay. That's abstinent. So I defended my right to drink. And then when I was in my 30s, I guess, my early 30s, I lost control. I just totally lost control. A lot was going on in my personal life. And and I went from a normal size, you know, from like 140, something like that, to 211. And I just couldn't stop. I just couldn't stop. And then I discovered amphetamines. And because I was drinking, not alcoholically yet, but um, I realized that if I mix my amphetamines with my alcohol, 
then I would lose weight, but like almost immediately. And um, in my late 30s, I started having psychotic episodes. But my mind was so twisted and so um, corrupted that I'd much rather be in a psychiatric ward, um, skinny skeleton, than being um, fat in the world, functioning, like, you know, working and taking care of my family. And, and that was the state of my mind. And I'm telling you the truth, because I'd much rather be in a psychiatric ward, fat, than being, um, I mean, skinny, than being fat in the real world. world. So that went on and on. And then um, the psychotic episodes, you know, were more frequent. And then I lost control over alcohol. I crossed that line. At the beginning, I could drink a bottle of wine instead of dinner and get away with it. But then after the end, at the end, I had to drink my alcohol. I had to eat my chocolate cake. And I had to get sick afterwards. I had to. I couldn't stop. I, I understood in my mind that that was killing me and that eventually I was going to die, but I couldn't stop. I didn't, I didn't. It's not that I had lack of love for my family or lack of intelligence to understand that what I was doing was suicidal. It's that I just could not stop. So um, six years and a half ago, on October the 3rd of 2008, I, went, I dragged myself to Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, where I got sober and clean immediately. And surprise, surprise, I gained all the weight because I knew it was going to happen. I just knew it. So on February the 22nd of 2010, um, I, I had a binge, a horrific binge. I, I won't, I, my full story is recorded in, in the special recordings already, so I won't repeat, I won't repeat the gory details and the war story, right? But, but I had a horrific, horrific, horrific binge. And and I, I, I went away and I said, this, this cannot be sobriety. It's not sobriety. I'm full of shame, remorse, and fear. I, I can't live inside of my body. I cannot live a normal life. And I cannot stop thinking of, of what I'm doing to my body, the way that I'm going to look tomorrow, how much I gain, how much weight I gain, uh, how am I going to get rid of it, how many grams of carbs, how many grams of fat, how many calories. Um, how long do I need to be on the treadmill to get rid of this? Um, um, I can't, I'm afraid of mirrors. I cannot stand have my picture taken. As soon as I have my picture taken, I just destroy it. And and my, my whole entire life is nothing but a capsule of horror in which food is my enemy and I'm its accomplice. And I cannot stop. So... But by then, I had a little experience in AA with a, with a big book and the steps. So I had hope. I had sincere, honest-to-God hope. I knew that, that the big book would work for my problem with food. I just knew it inside of myself. I still didn't know anybody who was doing it, but, but I knew inside of myself that I, will, I would find a way to make these words of the big book and the process described on it to, to, to get rid of my obsession with food and for behaviors. And so asking in AA meetings, you know, asking in one AA meeting, I live in Boston, so AA is really, really strong here. I went from one meeting to another asking and asking and asking. And somebody gave me this phone number, and, and I started coming to a vision for you. But I had already that surrender of mine. I knew, I knew that I was going to follow direction. I knew that I was going to get together with another addict. I knew that together we were going to 
um, follow this process. And, and frankly, the biggest thing that Addition for You gave me was very patient, patient, patient companionship to define my absence. So there are marvelous, wonderful, very, very detailed uh, special recordings in, in our library uh, where you, one of them is called Entire Abstinence. And there are very, very good recordings about what it means to be entirely abstinent, as we are suggested in Abish, in um, the doctor's opinion. When we read the doctor's opinion, that as Leah was saying in the introduction, there are certain foods that once we put inside of our body, there's no end. We don't know. We, we lose control. We lose control of how much we're going to ingest. And, 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 and that's not the worst part. The worst part is that after we're done with that box of cookie, with that, with that big entire cake or with that whatever your binge food is, right? Once you're done, you cannot prevent yourself from starting again. Once you go to the supermarket or to the buffet or to the grocery store, you, can, you, you, you just know inside of yourself that it's a matter of time. You will binge again. So, so yeah, so, so there are certain substances, right? The 50-plus um, years, in a way, um, suggest that there's enough consensus as to, as to think that most of us, most of us are addicted or we have a very violent reaction to sugar, all sugar, including fake sugar and, 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 and flour. It seems to suggest that we, that there's, I mean, the, the experience, 50 plus experience in a way, seems to suggest that most of us are allergic, violently allergic to sugar and, and carbs. But I know people, I know a few people whose downfall is um, the combination of fat, uh, salt, and the crunchiness of it. And, and that's their downfall. And, 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 and the sweetness does not trigger them. There are a few people that are allergic to all of that. And in my case, and I very much hope and I pray, I pray really that I make your journey a lot easier and a lot shorter, that you don't have to relapse for decades, that you can just say one, two, three, today, March the 1st, 2015, this is the day in which I'm going to count my days and, and I'm going to have the relief of not triggering the physical allergy because that's what I kept doing without even knowing. Um, after my introduction to a, for the most part, I didn't eat sugar or flour. I didn't. But I kept relapsing. I kept binging and I kept binging, and I couldn't lose all the weight, and I kept obsessing. And I didn't know, I frankly, honestly, didn't know, and that's the marvelous gift that Addition for You has given me, that through trial and error, trial and error, and questioning, and, and reading the big book, especially the first two chapters on We Agnostics, if when you get started, you cannot control the amount that you eat. Or if you, once you started, we, when you, you cannot quit entirely or you cannot control the amount, the volume that you can eat, that food is probably alcoholic to you. And I realized after decades that I cannot handle fruit, the sweetness of the fruit. I was raised vegetarian in Mexico City. So... Um, I live. I pretty much live on fruit, vegetables, grains, and, and nuts. That that was our, that was our diet. That's that's what we ate, and I binge on that. So decades of binging on apples and bananas and and mangoes and and papayas and cantaloupes made me. I lost control. I crossed that line 
and now I cannot handle the sweetness of the fruit. So in my particular case, I'm violently allergic to the the sweet flavor. Even if it's 100% comes from a, a tree or from a bush, I cannot handle the sweet flavor. That's my experience. And when I finally, finally, somebody took me by the hand and 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 sent me to my dark corner when I could meet to my with my God, and who ma- who masterly engineered the 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 chemic the chemistry and the mechanics of my body, and I said, "Wow, it's the sweet flavor. It's not only sugar and 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 flour. It's sweet potato. It's beets. It's raisins. It's everything that tastes sweet." And that day. I was able to put down all the flavor, all the, the, including the textures, all the textures put down, and I felt an incredible, oh, 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 the volume, the volume. I also have not only trigger foods, but trigger volume. Um, in my particular case, because I was a bulimic, or whatever, maybe not because I was a bulimic, maybe because I'm just who I am. Um, I cannot stretch my body. When I'm eating, and that's why some other approaches to OA didn't work for me. Um, there are some people that um, call that suggest a food plan, which is wonderful. I mean, from a, a nutritionist point of view, it might be marvelous and might be completely 100% adequate, but it calls for a lot of vegetables and raw salad. And that stretching of my stomach, that is a trigger volume. So now we have trigger substances trigger flavors, trigger textures, trigger volume in my case. And trigger volume, I cannot handle. As soon as my stomach stretches a little, it's like my whole body says, oh, come on, come on, where's the rest? I want the full experience of the volume. And and in sponsoring people, I have heard that. I've heard that I'm not alone. I'm not alone. Um, There are people who found very clever ways to get away with a lot of volume um, with a very little amount of food, it's just it's just it's, it's bizarre behaviors, right? It's bizarre. It's like the 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 twist of the mind, the craziness, the crazy thinking, the crazy cleverness that that, that a drug addict has to get the effect, the effect that we get with the food. So in my particular case, I have trigger substances, trigger flavors, trigger volume, also a trigger frequency. There are, um, I realized that after, you know, decades of relapsing, that I cannot, I just cannot make three square meals a day. I just can't. Because if I do that, um, I have to eat a volume that is triggering to me. So in my particular case, I cannot eat that much food. I eat just a little food at a time. So, and so I have to eat more times than three a day. And um, so that is, that's it for the physical part. As soon as I put, as soon as I tailored a food plan that allowed me to be very clean in my substances, very clean in my flavors, in my textures, in my volume, in my frequency, I felt enormous relief. And that is the relief, the physical relief. It's like a detox. It's what, what we get when we go to a detox facility. I, my stomach is not swollen. I'm not in chronic digestion. Um, I'm digesting very well. I feel nurtured. I'm not hungry because I'm not feel. I don't have the physical craving, the abnormal hunger, the fake hunger. I have the normal, healthy hunger 
because I need to nurture my body. I feel satisfied after my meal, and that is the physical relief. So it sounds wonderful, right? It sounds wonderful. Sadly, that's not sustainable if you're a real compulsive overeater like I am because there's another way to trigger the allergy. And the other way to trigger the allergy is to have a resentment. Now, a resentment, according to the big book and for practice of the big book, there's a little yellow book that um, that you can find in AA. It's called Living Sober. It's all the practical, the practical ways in which we trigger um, um, our allergy. And there is um, an, there's a, a, a list of everything that we can call resentment. Basically, you don't need to buy the book. Don't even look for it. I don't even know what I said. It. Everything that you need is in the big book. Everything that feels wrong is a resentment. Everything that feels wrong and becomes obsessive is a resentment. A resentment can be just feelings of sadness, an extraordinary feeling of longing, um, anger, fear, shame, um, self-pity. I have no idea that self-pity was a resentment. I thought that self-pity, I was I was raised in a, what did I say, in a culture that glorifies self-pity. Self-pity is um, is Hollywood. It's, it's a good, it's a good, it's a marketable product. It's a good kosher line of thinking. And and I didn't know that I cannot afford to um, go along that narrative. I can, everything that begins with poor me, why me, is poison to me. Anyway, so a resentment. The resentment, as soon as I get into a resentment, which can be shame, fear, sadness, longing, anything that feels wrong, an obsessive thought that 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 grabs my imagination and grabs my line of thinking and doesn't let me think of anything else or anybody else, that's a resentment. So, how do I take care of the resentments? Well, today the 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 way that I take care of the resentments is um, through the steps. So now here we go to the big book. As, I mean, we haven't left the big book because. Um, how to get sober in the physical way is also written in the big book if you read patiently with somebody who is recovered. So the first step that is discussed, that is discussed in the big book is not step one. Um, shockingly enough, when we start reading in, in the doctor's opinion, it says right there in the, in the very first letter, it says that um, this person, you know, this alcoholic, um, as part of his rehabilitation, started impressing certain certain ideas upon others and, and with the hope that those others will talk to even other people. So that's step twelve and that's the most visible step that we that if somebody's observing us from a distance and they're not addicts, that's the most visible step. That is and some people think that is a um that is a um how do you call that? Like a group, like a group therapy kind of thing. Because from a distance it appears like we are helping one another and that we are the source of recovery, that we are the source of, re- of relief. Um, bear with me. I used to have a cat, and, and he was a very clever cat, and he, would, he was an outdoors. He would come in and out of, of the house. And he was very social, and he was very popular. So he would go out of my house, and he would always come back with somebody. He will always come back with one cat or two hungry cats, and and... These cats, the cats that my cat would bring home, they were homeless cats. So a homeless cat, you know, is all disheveled and all dirty and usually hungry and thirsty and afraid 
afraid because because they live in the streets and they suffer a lot. So my cat was very wealthy because he lived with me and I was a very good mom to my cat. So they would bring he would bring the cats to my house. So so he would come with the cats. The cats were looking down, you know, and 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 my cat would bring them to to the front door where they would stay, and then I would bring the food. The cats, the homeless cats, would never even dare to look up because because they were, you know, tortured and, and homeless and, and lonely and, and, and cold and, and thirsty and hungry. So they thought they would follow my cat, whose name was Chicharo. They would follow Chicharo. They didn't know and they couldn't even know that I was the source of sustenance. They would just follow Chicharo. From a side, when we help one another, that, that, that seems to be the case that I'm recovered and I bring you to a vision for you and that we're the source of relief and we're the source of, of peace and tranquility and, 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 and victory over this addiction. But we are not the source. The source is a higher power. The source is out, it's independent and outside of us and of a vision for you. It's a higher power, the collective higher power. And I know that every single one of us has a different approach and a different experience to a higher power. But if we were to put them all together, if we had the time to listen to each one of our stories and to have a full description of how it feels to be in connection and in companionship with a higher power, we wouldn't exhaust the experience of a higher power. It will still be more. The experience of a higher power solves every single problem with food and with other drugs with alcohol and other obsessive behaviors. It's all powerful, as the literature explains to us. So the very first step that is described in the big book is the 12 steps. So the 12 steps, so the, as you see, the structure of the steps is more circular rather than linear. It's more like, the, like, a, like a watch in which you're midnight. If you're desperate today and you say, I must stop, I must find the way of stopping, I must find some help, some relief, because I cannot keep living like that. And if you're thinking that way, I'm so glad and so excited for you because you're ready. You're ready to grab our hands because we're living in like in the in the light. It's as, as your midnight, it's our noon. And then we're ready to take step one. Now the steps. The, the easiest way to that I see of somebody not... Um, flowing gracefully through the steps is that we have the tendency to make things horrifically complicated. And then because we are who we are and I am who I am, you know, it, it's very easy to get um, in a delusion, in a delusion that because I'm recovered and because I have, I have been granted sustained uh, abstinence through these four years and one week, um, that I have a certain hierarchy or a certain status over you, but nothing could be more far from the truth. The one and only way in which this can be sustainable is that we accept in the bottom of our hearts that I am an addict with no hierarchy, no power, and no status over anybody. I need you as much as you need a recovered person. We are on the same level. But if we connect, the magic happens and the higher power grants us the, 
grants us recovery from this deadly disease. And it's deadly. It is a deadly disease. So step one is described on page 30. I mean, the whole entire book, the whole entire book up to page 30, leads up to finally accept that there's no way to get out of this nightmare without the help of others and the experience of a higher power. <clears throat> so when we admit to our innermost self, I don't know where your innermost self is located. My innermost self is located at the bottom of my stomach. The bottom of my stomach used to say, more, more, feed me. I'm hungry, I'm hungry. Please feed me, I'm hungry. I cannot go another step without food. Now, the bottom, 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 my innermost self is still the bottom of my stomach. And what does my stomach say? Oh, my stomach says, I'm content. I'm satisfied. I'm happy. I can trust. It's almost like the feeling of a well-fed baby right after your, I don't know if you're a mom, you have the experience of feeding a baby and the baby kind of sighs and is satisfied because there's trust in that baby. That little developing trust of a baby, of a new soul into the world, that's the way I feel. I trust, not that my, not in my food and not, not even in a vision for you. I trust on that phenomenon that we create, that we evoke together when we're together in a vision for you. I know that the higher power manifests itself and takes away the hunger and gives us hope to keep going. It's always easier to keep going. No matter how you hungry you think you are, it's always easier to just keep going until your next abstinent meal than to relapse and start all over again. Why do I know that? Because the disease is progressive. It is progressive. So every single time that you pick up the food, it's a lot more difficult and not less difficult. I also have the theory by being observing my body all these decades in compulsive overeater that every single time that we pick up the food, we grow. It's It's like the road is less the variety of the food that we can eat becomes narrower and narrower and narrower. I used to have a a, a trip of self-pity over that, like, oh, pretty much I will end up eating with no flavor and with no pleasure. But now that I'm recovered and I'm working this um, program to the best of my ability, I see that the road is getting clearer and clearer and clearer and therefore safer and safer and safer. And and it's just, I mean, I used to be horrified. It used to be so difficult to go to the grocery store or to go to the supermarket to buy my food. It used to be a nightmare because because I didn't know what to eat and I wanted to eat everything. And now that I'm recovered, it's a breeze. I go to the supermarket. I know exactly what aisle to visit. I know exactly the amount that I need to buy every week. And and I'm in and out, 15 minutes done for the whole entire week. It's it's such a pleasure. So the road to me has become clearer and clearer and therefore safer and safer. So step two and step three, um, in my experience, take very, very little time. It's just believing, just a teeny little sparkle of faith, just believing that I'm telling you the truth for starters. Why in the world would I be with you? on a perfectly fine Sunday morning at 9 o'clock in the morning. Why would I be with you? Why would I have? Why would I be willing to talk to you for, you know, an hour and a half on a perfectly fine day off in which I would be with my family or, like, 
even sleeping today, sleeping in. I hope that you believe me that I'm telling you the truth and that I'm not making this up. This is, the, there is a solution. It's, it's feasible. It's attainable. It's not that difficult. It doesn't take that much time. So why do we do step four? Step four, because normal people who are normal and not have a reflection have the luxury to be resentful or remorseful or, or ashamed or in fear. They have that luxury. But you and I, because we are, we have this horrible addiction, we don't have that luxury, which, if you ask me, is a very good thing because we're doomed to be happy. We're doomed to live in peace. We're doomed to live in tranquility. What's wrong with that? And the motivation is that if we don't, we die. So there. In step five, we pocket our pride. We pocket our pride and we say, and we say, listen, with all my education and all my travels around the world, and my honorable lineage, and my fabulous religious life, and, 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 and the languages that I speak, and my college degrees, I can't do this alone. I absolutely need you to be with me and, and to work with me and, and, and to struggle with me so that God manifests himself in the way in which we can experience it and the magic keeps happening. And, and we pocket our pride. Now, the first thing that we do, the fourth and the fifth step, is just a rehearsal for our lifestyle. These, um, the, the 12 steps of recovery is a very highly specific way of life. It's, um, it tells us how to start the day, how to end the day, how to wake up in the morning, how to go to sleep. What to the the line the narrative the line of thinking that won't get us into trouble, and the, our mission in life. Um, in reading uh, a story, the story that titles our, our talk today, "Freedom from Bondage." It says in "Freedom of Bondage" the stories at the end of the book. It says "Freedom from Bondage." It talks about a fake hunger, a fake longing. He thought that he was hungry for alcohol and he thought that he was hungry for, he was thirsty for the next drink. And in reality, what he was hungry for was a, a spiritual hunger. Well, that sounds a little too ethereal for me. That sounds a little too mystical for me. What exactly do I need to do when I think that I need to eat and, and it's not in my food plan? In reality, I'm hungry for the spirit. No amount of food is going to satisfy my hunger for spirit. And spirit, what does spirit mean if I'm an addict in recovery? You won't believe how easy it is. It's the spirit of service. The spirit of service and the spirit of love. What is the meaning of love in the context of the book? Patience and tolerance and service. And what does service look like? It, it has so many shapes. Service can be dialing. If you dial in the morning and you're live in the vision for you, I'm jealous to begin with because I'm working at that time. But that is service because there is, there is power in numbers, as the big book reveals too. Again, there is power in numbers. If you participate live in the vision for you, that's service. If you ask a question in the after meeting where there's a room to ask, for, ask questions, if you ask a question, God bless you because there are other people that are asking themselves the exact same question as you are. 
and you're voicing it. If you um, answer questions, that's service too. And if you sponsor people, that's service. The most precious service of all is remain abstinent in recovery because there wouldn't be any program, there wouldn't be any recovery if there were not addicts that are abstinent and sober. So the next time that you feel that the food is calling you again and, and you say, well, just what's the point? I'll start tomorrow again. Stop stop for one second. Pause, as, as we're instructed on page 84. Pause and think. This fine hour, I'm not alone. I'm not alone because there are tons of addicts who are trying to live clean and sober. And if clean and sober means don't eat for just 15 minutes, those 15 minutes can turn into half an hour and then into an hour until your next meal. And that fine hour is the most precious service that you can render to the program, programs of recovery. Because where would you and I be if Dr. Bob had surrendered to the cravings? And he lived with cravings for the first two years. And where would we be? So if you think that you have hunger, which is a fake hunger, if you think that you have hunger and you have the cravings, it's not in vain. It's sitting alone or sitting in company or sitting in waiting until the next meal and, and praying, may I be of service, just delaying that time in which you're going to eat again. That is precious, precious service. So the way out in in the big book, to keep it really short, is um, contained in the, um, the step third, uh, the third step prayer and the seventh step prayer. So the third step prayer goes like this: God, I offer myself to Thee to be with me and to do with me as I will. Relieve me of the bondage of self that I may better accept. Take away my difficulties that victory of them may bear witness to those I would help of thy power, thy love, and thy way of life. So if you see, may I do your will always. So what is the will of our collective higher power? That we may remain abstinent in recovery. I mean, we can agree on that one. That's the collective will of our, the, the will of our collective higher power. Why are we going to be granted this beautiful, beautiful blessing? We're going to be granted this beautiful blessing because we are going to be witness of people that don't even know that there is a solution. I am so, so excited to meet some of you on our retreat. Um, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I have the pleasure, I have the privilege of meeting many faces in, in a vision for you, and I cannot wait to, to meet some of you. And we'll get together and we'll do this exercise again, this exercise of humility again. And, and we'll, we'll shine our recovery. We'll exude our recovery to one another so that we can bear witness to people that don't even know that there is a solution. So coming to the, the step, um, the seventh step prayer, where it says, My Creator, I am now willing that you should have all of me, the good and the bad. I pray that, I, that you now remove from me every single defect of character which stands in the way of my usefulness to you and my fellows. Grant me strength as I go out from here to do your bidding. So as you can tell, if you're feeling that temptation to pick up that food again, and there, um, back in the day when I was in a way with no program, because I was a religious person, I would pray. I would say to God, God, please, please, please help me just 
keep my diet today or my food problem today. Just please, I don't want to eat. Please take away my hunger. Please take away my hunger. Please take away my hunger. And I would eat after the prayer. Now I understand that that's not the right prayer, at least for me. The right prayer is, how can I please help me to help others right now when I'm feeling this fake hunger, this signal that is erratic, it's reading wrong. My body is perceiving it as feed me with food when I really, my spirit, what my spirit wants and longs for is I want to be of service. Now, don't ask me why, but every single time that I ask myself that question, how can I be of service to somebody else? Of course, because we're uniquely qualified to help one another, service in our case is help another compulsory. But there are times, you know, in which you can help people that are just around you, right? When you're in your workplace, when you're with your neighbors, even if you're alone, we can pray for another person. We can write a letter to another person. We can connect with another person um, in our workplace, with our family, with our neighbors. Wherever we go, we find a way to be of maximal usefulness to another person. And then we find that relief. Surprise, surprise. After we make ourselves useful, we're useful to our higher power. We're useful to our community, to a vision for you. We're, we're useful to our, our trusted program of recovery. We're, and then we collect, we gather this magnificent experience of sobriety in recovery, which is our golden treasure, so that we can keep passing on. <sighs> okay, so um, I think I've said enough. I said everything that I wanted to say. Some of us are going to, we will always think of new ways to say that, the same thing in a different way. Um, when I was eating, I would um, consume food recipes as, as some other addicts consume pornography. And now that I'm recovered, I read our precious big book over and over again. And and I, I, I dream, I, I think, I study to find another way, a different brand new way to say the same message with different words. And we will never, never, never get um, bored. I'll finish with a brief story. Um, I was born in Mexico City, which is an elevated valley surrounded by mountains with no bodies of water. And and my, my dad, of blessed memory, he raises without TV and with a lot of books. So I would read about the ocean in big books, you know, in books with illustrations. And, and, and we would read about the ocean and the waves and the breeze and and the salty water and the sand. And I was four years old, and I was very arrogant even then, and very argumentative even then. And I would tell my good dad that the ocean doesn't exist. It's just, it's a fantasy, just like Mickey Mouse and Cinderella. It's a made-up thing. It's, it's just, it's just, it's, a, it's an invention. It's a fantasy. And because I couldn't see it, because I, my eyes had never seen the ocean, so I didn't believe in the ocean. So my dad, patiently, he, he put me in the car and drove me to Acapulco, four hours away from Mexico City. And I remember seeing the ocean from a distance, but I still didn't believe in the ocean because I was set in my old idea that, that the ocean was a made of fantasy. So I said, my dad, well, um, there's the ocean, yeah, I guess, but but I couldn't accept it to myself. I just couldn't. I couldn't. I couldn't swallow my pride and say there is a thing called the ocean. So we parked 
and my dad, you know, I was wearing my bathing suit, and my dad took me by the hand, and then he carried me in his arms, and then he dumped me, dumped me in a wave. And then I felt the experience of the wave, of the salty water, of the sound of the ocean, of the immensity of the ocean, and I felt a range of emotions in my four-year-old brain. I felt humbled, almost humiliated, because my dad was right and I was not. I was not. I was. I was wrong. I felt relieved because there was a thing such as the ocean in which I could believe from now on, and and I felt overwhelmed by the experience of the ocean. And then I turned around to look at the other people that were bathing in the ocean, and I said, I wonder if these people have the same experience as as I as I as I'm having right now. And I realized that 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 my experience was unique because I was the one who had argumented against the ocean looking at pictures and I was the one who was brought by my dad to experience the ocean life and I was the one who came to believe in the ocean when I experienced the full force of the ocean and nobody will ever have my exact own experience ever. So I very much hope that a word that I said or an idea that I said will encourage you to jump in with us, join us, a vision for you is like the best of the best of the big book studies that are available in the land. And and it's a sure, sure study to get you to experience the full force of the higher power that will grant you relief, physical relief, but spiritual relief from your fake hunger. And with that, I pass. Thank you so much, Marcella, for your inspiring message of hope and possibility this morning. We appreciate your message this morning. And Marcella M.'s contact information will be offered at the conclusion of this recording, so stay tuned for that. We're now going to open the floor for questions for Marcella, and you can direct your question by pressing star 1 to unmute and identify yourself, please. Hi, this is Gail in Texas. This is Mary Lee in Paso Robles, California. I hear Gail. I hear Mary Lee. Anyone else at this time? Jump in. The ocean water is warm this morning. Anyone? Okay. Okay. Let's start with Gail first, please. Thank you. Gee whiz, it's so wonderful to be live. I have to listen to the meetings at night before I go to sleep because I'm off somewhere at 6 o'clock in the morning in Central Standard Time. So good morning, visionary. Marcella, you, you talked about an archive of how to find your own abstinence. And could you repeat what that information is, please? <laughs> well, um, when we read the big book, because the big book is, for alcoholics, right? The process of the big book will work for us, <clears throat> but there's lack of, ex- of specificity as what exactly is our alcohol. So if you read the doctor's opinion, and there are wonderful recordings of, of, of in addition for you, go to the library. There is a, there's a recording called um, Defining Entire Abstinence or, or Walking a Fellow Away to... Um, um, the doctor's opinion. So you talk to somebody 
and, and, and you sit down and you make a list of the foods that are alcoholic to you. Um, I find that for myself that was not enough. Abstaining from my substance was not enough. I also need definition of triggering volume, triggering texture, triggering flavors. But pretty much everything is everything that you need to do is uh, read with another addict, the doctor's opinion, and the first two paragraphs of We Agnostics that covers um, the phenomenon of, of triggering the physical allergy. Um, if you ask me, every unless you have the food plan that will work for you, you will keep relaxing. Um, that's my humble experience. Thank you, Marcella. Thanks Bye again back. for the question. Bye-bye. Mary Lee, it's your turn. Good morning. This is Mary Lee R. in Central Coast, California. And Marcella, hmm, open your mouth and let God out. I um I just wanted to know what your go-to um pages are in the big book when um when things are wonderful. Um okay, so am I let me see if I understand well. What what pages of the book to read when when things are wonderful? Yeah, I, I I know a lot of pages when things, you know, when I'm in fear and the fear prayer and resentment prayer and and I I just feel like I'm crossing over that bridge and I'm getting on more solid ground and I just wondered if there are pages that, you know, when things are good that um, you also like to go to. Oh, I see. Well, my experience with the big book is that everybody develops a a, a special bond with the big book. Um, like, um, I have a lot of friends that are like completely addicted to the big book. I have a a friend in London who has a blog, and 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 is constantly going through the words of the big book and the history of AA and and the cultural social context in which the big book was written and everybody develops a it's everybody develops a unique experience with the big book um when i feel wonderful 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 what i like to read is working with others because the reason that i be i believe that the reason that i've been granted this wonderful blessing and the wonderful relief the physical relief and the spiritual relief is so that i can pass it on that pretty much defines my destiny um, I identify with my destiny in, 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 in the 12 steps of recovery. I'm, I know that I'm a mom and I'm a, I'm a wife and I'm a preschool teacher, but my destiny, what defines the core of my essence and what I believe God created me and the reason that I was relieved from this horrible bondage is so that I could spread it out. Just, just think for one second how many people in the world are waiting to have what we have. How many people are dying? How many people are getting sicker and sicker and sicker as time goes by? And how much work do we have to do? I just learned yesterday or a day before yesterday that the International Convention of OA is going to be in Boston in 2016. I have visions of of making a vision for you live and presence and loud 
and 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 spread the spread the word that this really works. Our big book step study, our big book study really really works, and make it accessible to as many people as possible. So working with others, does that make sense? Hi, this is Jane. May I share? Thank you, Mary Lee, for the question. And Jane, your turn. Anyone else have a question this morning for Marcella? Hi, this is Maria A. in Alabama. Maria. Jean in Boston. Jean in Boston. Anyone? I didn't catch the last name. The last name. Okay, let's start with Jane, then we'll go to Maria. Thank you. Thank you, Leah. Thank you for your service. Hi, I'm Jane B. I'm calling from Delray Beach, Florida. Thank you, Marcella. I am so grateful I got to hear you live. And um, you've covered every part of this program, spiritual, mental, physical. Um, I had a question, and I, maybe it's a, a Jane, we don't hear you. Star one to unmute. I don't know what happened. Boy, that was weird. Okay, here we go. I don't know where I stopped. But anyway, um, you touched on uh, the physical part of the program, how important it is to get step one in place. That being said, I think a lot of it has to do, my experience is um, finding the right food plan for oneself. And, I, you know, we, have, we go to these food fellowships and they give you one-size-fits-all prescribed food plan and, you know, you're expected to follow it the way your sponsor does. I mean, I did that for many, 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 many years. But um, I, I tell you, my recovery did not begin until I started working specifically on, like you said, the trigger foods, the amounts, what was triggering me, the taste of the sweet, the 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 stevia, the, the, the this artificial sweetener. I had to look at all that stuff because I kept going out, and I kept saying, oh, "It must be because I don't really want this program. It must be I'm defiant." And um, you really touched on something that was important. And I don't think they, I think our, you know, vision for you, you know, we need to know that um, there is a way to get to be abstinent and be free from this compulsion, this physical craving, and it says in the doctor's opinion. My understanding is that, you know, really, um, how, do, how do we as a, you know, an OA doesn't specifically um, advocate for one food plan, but how do we give people that message that it's important to find your, 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 the right food plan that works um, because it's so integral in working these steps, which was for me. And, you know, for me to get through these steps, I had to keep that. And I continue to keep that physical craving. I surrender those trigger substances, even though they're abstinent for other people and behaviors and volume. So I just want to know how we can advocate that and still work the steps and, you know, not, I don't know, does that make any sense? Yeah, it, can, it makes sense to me. Um, that's what I I wasted, frankly, decades in a way because I didn't have, like, the guidance to define. I was very shocked. You know, we had this um, special recording months ago uh, with Laurie, and 
and I asked him if um, OA as a whole has a description or definition of what it means to compulsive overeat, and we don't have we have a we have a definition of what abstinence, you know, the act of refraining from eating compulsive overeating, but we don't have a definition of what's the meaning of compulsive overeating. I have the feeling that it's different for for every one of us, but at the same time, there there is, as I said, 50 plus years of OA has has told us this. It suggests that there are certain behaviors that 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 we suffer, that many of us suffer from. So so I would start. That's the way I started. Well, what is the meaning of overeating? That's part. That part is easy. If I eat more nutrients than my body needs to function and be healthy, that's overeating, right? If I go over and beyond the the calories or the volume or the amount of food that is healthy for one person, given my age and my size and my circumstances, that's overeating. What's the meaning of compulsive? The compulsive, so overeating addresses, I think, the physical aspect, and the compulsive is like the brain, like the compulsive is man, you're mandated. It's kind of complicated. It's not that simple, right? So what is the meaning of compulsive overeating to me? Um, the other day I had this fabulous conversation with a, a sponsee of mine. And you know how we have the expression of my food is very clean? Well, it's very clean. It means it doesn't have sugar. It doesn't have artificial sweeteners. It's not deep fried with salt. It doesn't have my alcoholic food. But in my case, my food is very, very clean where my intention, with the intention of my heart and my soul, is in the right place before I eat. That's what we have concluded, a little group of us and myself, is that the steps can and should be done every, completely, entirely, every single time that we, before we eat, before we eat in front of my abstinence, measure and weight meal, am I resentful? Do I owe an apology? Was I just thinking of myself? Am I making myself useful to God and my fellows? Okay, if the answers are to my satisfaction, then I can eat. If I'm resentful, I cannot afford to eat, even if it's abstinent way I measure, because my food is not clean. So compulsive overeating, we have ways to go. But in reality, when you think of it, the phenomenon of recovering in no way for the big book is kind of new. I mean, we have old timers. You have like you have people like Leah and other people that are like 30 and and something, but there are very few, very, very few, and the need is overwhelming. We really need one another, and we really need to like join forces and be very enthusiastic about the top step and do whatever it is in our hands to spread the message of the big book when it comes to overeating and compulsive overeating. Thank you. Thank you, Jane. Maria, your turn. Uh, thank you. This is Maria E. in Alabama. Uh, thank you, Marcella, for uh, sharing your experience, strength, and hope. Um, I understand, uh, from, especially from what you said about the volume and the different things, uh, that it's not just as simple to say, okay, today I'm going to put the food down. Because it's not just the food. It's a lot of things. And, and and it takes some detective work to find out uh, what exactly am I allergic to? What, what am I doing with my thinking and, and my food? Um, but what happens is I have this old idea and old thinking. As soon as I think of putting food down, 
I write them down, I see what my triggers are, they take a couple of pages, and then I say to myself, well, you know, God put all this good food on this earth, not for you to be deprived, and all I need is that little thought to trip everything and say, okay, I'll just eat everything in moderation and I'll be fine. And then, of course, I can do that for a day or so, and then I'm off to the races again. So my, my question would be, how do I uh, over-trip that thought that comes in there and tells me, you can't be fine. God put this for you, not to be deprived. Thank you. Uh, I love your question because it, it is a perfect example of the, of the, to the peculiar mental twist. It's a perfect example of how our mind tricks us to eat again. The peculiar, exactly, that's, that's a perfect example of how we say, oh, come on, it's not good to be deprived. I'll, I'll manage this time, so here, I, I'm, I, I will, isn't it the, the deadly obsession of every abnormal eater that one day we will handle and eat like ladies, right, in moderation? That's a perfect example. So, as for your question, it, it covers the both things, right, the physical aspect and the spiritual aspect. Well, we have to start somewhere. I mean, if you're completely 100% lost and you know in your heart of hearts that you're a compulsive reader, you have to start somewhere. And that's for decades, in a way, that's what we used to do, right? People used to do three times a day, nothing in between, or people used to do uh, no sugar, no flour. You have to start somewhere. And that was my journey. I mean, I haven't eaten sugar and flour like in I don't even know how many decades, but I did. I don't call myself recovered because the obsession was still there. I was very, very surprised when I went through horrible withdrawal. And you know what? Let's talk about withdrawal. Because the expectation is as soon as I put the food down, I'll feel relief. No. First, we have to go through withdrawal. Withdrawal is brutal sometimes. It's very uncomfortable. And it feels bad. And it's not only the emotional bad that some of our speakers so beautifully describe, you know, like Harlan, he says, yeah, when I put the food down, I felt worse. I felt a lot worse. I love how he explains that one. But it's not only that, it's also the physical withdrawal. Like when you put the food down, whatever that is, the very last withdrawal that I went through was coffee. Oh, oh, it's I put the food, I was granted the ability to put the coffee down and I felt a lot worse physically, not emotionally, not spiritually, physically. I had horrible headaches. I had joint pains. I was feeling dizzy. I was feeling nauseous. I've heard horrible withdrawals from artificial sweeteners. If you Google withdrawal from artificial sweeteners, you'll get scared. Artificial sweeteners are horrible, 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 even for people without this addiction. There is a horrible withdrawal from artificial sweeteners. There is withdrawal from volume. And you feel the physical, the typical symptoms of withdrawal from a substance, just like an addict, just like a drug addict, just like an alcoholic. Your hands might shake. You might get a horrible headache. You might feel dizzy or weak, fatigue. You might get horrible insomnia. And you have to go through that. Um, my withdrawal from artificial sweeteners lasted two weeks. My withdrawal from coffee lasted three weeks. Um, 
what can I tell you? We have to go through that. Um, I love when he says, like, the clock is ticking. I forgot who says that. But he says, the clock. once we put the foot down, I think it's King who says that. The, 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 once we put the foot down, the clock is ticking. The clock is ticking. You need the program of recovery. You need the step quickly because you're going to physical, through physical withdrawal. And it's very uncomfortable. Now, you have to go through it. You have to start somewhere. You have to start somewhere. Now, the physical withdrawal, once you finally cross that bridge, and, and I think that it lasts between two or three weeks, once you go through you never want to experience that again. And that's another motivation to never, ever, ever overeat again. Why should you? Never put your, your, your red flag um, uh, food in your body again. So thank you for the question because, yeah, that's, that's the other thing. The withdrawal, we have to go to withdrawal. Thank you, Maria, for that question. Jean, it's your turn. Jean, star one to unmute. I am sorry. I'm, I was touched by your story, especially the part of um, your dad. Jean, let's try again. Star one to unmute. Can you hear me now? Sure can. Go ahead. Yeah, I was just saying that I'm, I am... I was touched by the story of your father who brought you so far to see the ocean because I live in Boston and uh, the ocean has always been, the ocean and the sky have always like been very special to me and I've often used them as my higher power. But um, the the other thing is it's like your um, story about not everybody has the same food plan. I have been abstinent almost 30 years I'm older than you, and um, and I haven't eaten sugar and flour. So what works for me may not work for someone else, and I have to be flexible enough as sponsoring to tell somebody that I don't know what their stuff is when I don't know, and um, and I and I have done that. So sharing that story, it's like I think like oh my God, she can't have fruit. <laughs> I think. All right. Well, you know, like I can. And, and as I get older, I'm 80 years old. My food plan has got not being active. It's got smaller and smaller. So it's like um, I want to, you know, like thank you for like saying that. Everybody's food plan does not have to be the same. And that I'm in love with your dad. Thank you. <laughs> thank you, Jean. Did I hear an Elizabeth? Can I comment briefly on her share, Leah? Is that okay? Oh, sure. Okay. So, so um, I would be without sponsees if I demanded that my sponsees follow my food plan. Nobody would want my food plan. Nobody would want it. So I couldn't. I could. I wouldn't be able to sponsor anybody if I would say, "Listen, if you're going to have me as a sponsor, you are going to eat exactly what I eat. Forget it." That's not the way it is. I I have sponsees who I have a sponsee who travels a lot to Panama, 
and, and she sent me pictures of what she's eating in Panama, I would be dead if I ate the way she eats. I would be dead in a second. But for her, that's perfectly abstinent and perfectly clean because because she's her and I'm myself. So, yeah, like I think that um, Roxanne wrote about that, that we all have the same abstinence, which, which means where we frame from, from our from our substances and from our volume and we follow a, a food plan. So in that way, we have an abstinence and we're practicing the process of recovery. But everybody has a food plan. And even myself in my body, I mean, I'm 54. I just recently engaged in a very, very rigorous um, yoga practice. And I was just, I was, I was, I was, the, I was so upset because I gained three pounds. I gained three pounds, but I was, but my, but I'm smaller. My pants are very, very big on me, and but I'm heavier. And I was really, really upset because I'm still an addict. And and I was, I asked everybody, I asked everybody in a vision for you. Like I made a, a lot of phone calls and a lot of texting. And, and people were trying to be helpful, but I didn't find the answer in the vision for you. I went to the yoga trainer and he said, well, he said, you need to eat a little bit more protein and to drink a lot more water because he's the one who knows what I'm doing, right? And and protein, he doesn't know that I have a a, 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 a food issue. You know, he doesn't know that I'm an addict, but he knows the yoga training that I'm doing and, and, um, and the requirements for that. And, um, yeah, so I increased my protein intake within according to my, my food plan. So I'm eating even more now that I'm exercising, and I lost the weight. Go figure what the body does. At the end of the game, only the master engineer who created my body knows how my body works. I'm eating more food. I'm heavier, but I'm smaller. Go figure. But, you know, but, but my, my soul is in peace. I'm, I'm calm. I, 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 I'm, I'm very small. I'm, small. I'm well, very small compared to myself, compared to my own history. So thank you for saying that. We are who we are. Only God knows. Only God knows. We help one another. Thanks. Thank you. Again, Jean. Elizabeth, please, your turn. Elizabeth S. in Canada? Yes, your turn. Go ahead. Oh, okay. I didn't know if you heard my Um, I, uh, I have an interesting food plan that my doctor's kind of approved, and I eat three meals, three snacks a day, like every three hours because my metabolism needs to be healed. And my sponsor's attitude to that, I think it's kind of like Marcella's, where you, um, whatever food plan you have, if you're um, working towards a normal body weight, that you know, is very personal to you. And like the previous speaker said, I can't believe how much I'm eating, but I'm eating according to this food plan. And I'm, the, the fat is melting away. My pant sizes are changing. And I've only been abstinent 70 days. And I've lost over 20 pounds. And I just, I'm amazed at the way God made our bodies that, how frequently I eat and even what volume I eat, but it's specific food groups that I eat and I, and I avoid certain trigger foods like the sweets and the coffee and and 
limit my wheat and dairy. So it's it's helping me even like the obsession is the in the mental obsession is even um like I see food differently. I see food the way God made it to be, nourishing our bodies. Yeah. Might you have a question, please, for our speaker this morning, Marcella? I was wondering about her vision for you recording. What's it called? I mentioned a couple of recordings. Um, there are go to the library of special recordings, and there are many really awesome recordings about what it means to be abstinent. There are panels about abstinence. There are um, there are recordings about the doctor's opinion, taking another fellow sufferer to the doctor's opinion. There are recordings about what it means to be entirely abstinent. My humble suggestion would be listen to a lot of those recordings and then work with a recovered sponsor and you'll find your way. I wish you luck. Thank you, Elizabeth. Bonnie. L. Lonnie, let's see. Is there a Lonnie? Hey. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Go ahead with your question. Hi. Hi, everybody. Good morning. My question is that I, I know several people around me right now that are are relapsing, you know, and and while I'm not their direct sponsor, these are people that call to me, make outreach calls to me. What is the best? And I don't want to say advice, but what's the best experience, strength, and hope that I can share with them about becoming willing to come up with a food plan that's right for them and to be giving up some of these what I call alcoholic foods? Do you have any suggestions or experience, strength, and hope you can share with me? Thank you. Um, Well, the big book is kind of like clear about what to do with people that are not ready it says in the big book that we don't waste time. We don't waste time with people that are not ready. Um, this is my horrible experience when, in, in a way. That because overeating is socially acceptable, and in some cultures and in some ambiences even praised. Like um, you don't get you don't you don't go to prison right for eating a lot more than you need, and and generally people don't send you to jail or call the police when you're eating a lot, um, unlike alcoholics and drug addicts. So so because it's socially acceptable and it's not a crime and you can do it in public and in public places, people think that it's not as severe as alcoholism. But, but compulsive eating is just alcoholism. It is a disease of the mind. It affects the way you think. It impairs your thinking, and it impairs the way that you relate to yourself, to God, and to others. It affects your functioning in the world. Overeating is getting drunk, is getting high. And and for some people who haven't suffered enough, they will just say, oh, it's just a matter of a couple of pounds. I just want to be fashionable. I just want to look better. So sadly, nobody can hit bottom for another person, so we don't waste our time and our energy. If people keep relapsing and relapsing and relapsing. Now, there are people, and you, you can feel it in that sincerity. There are people who relapse 
and, and, and then they say, I just cannot, I just can't go through this again. I just can't do it anymore. Please help me. I'm, I'm willing to do whatever it takes. I think that those are the magic words if you really, really feel them. I'm willing to do whatever it takes. The more that you get deep into the addiction, the addiction is the one that gets you ready. What what do the big book says? It says we're beating into reasonableness. Like some people just gain a little pounds and, and their wardrobe doesn't fit enough, and that's their bottom. God bless them. God bless them. Such a high, beautiful bottom, right? For some people like me, you have to be in a psychiatry ward um, abusing amphetamines and mixing them with alcohol and, and fluctuating 110 pounds in, in a small frame and almost dying, right, of this disease, to say, enough, enough, I'll do whatever it takes. Now, the big book says also that there's kind of like a math formula to what needs to happen if you're going to recover. Dr. Bob says that we need to invest, that it never fails. It never fails if you invest half of the seal, half of the seal. Now, what is half of the seal? Half of the money, half of the time half of the vital energy that I invested in diets, in diet clubs, in amphetamines, in tricks to how to lose weight, into finding the right abstinent plan, half of the seal in the spiritual program, I will recover. That's a lot of time if you're somebody like me. That is hours a day. That's not 15 minutes a day. That is like a couple of hours a day. Listening to the meeting is not enough. Just listening to the meeting is the beginning. It's opening the door. If you listen to the meeting or you listen to the recording of history, that's opening the door. Now you have to come in and grab another person and interact with another person, open the book, and do the steps. And that takes at least another hour. So, so that'll be my suggestion. Work with somebody who, who's ready and don't work with somebody who's not ready because eventually they will be ready. And the last thing that I will say is that I'm vulnerable. I don't want to be hearing to people that relapse and relapse and relapse because, because I have the obsession of the mind, and I don't want to hear that narrative. I don't want to hear how they, how the, the line of thinking that I was trapped by for decades. Oh, this time I will manage. This time I will go. Alone. I want to hear people who are really, honestly, willing to do what it takes and struggling right? So it's a fine line. Everybody does it differently. Um, pray for them. I'll pray for them too. That's all I have to say. Thank you. Lonnie, for the question. Who else has a question this morning? Star one to unmute. Hi, it's Esther, New York, if I can ask a question. Esther, sure. Anyone else? Star one to unmute. Yeah, this Great. is Sarah. I have a question. Hi, Sarah. Anyone else? If it's on your mind, it's on the mind of others. Sandy B., I have a question. Okay, Sandy B. All right, let's go with Esther and then Sarah and then Sandy. So, Esther, go ahead. Hi, it's Esther here in New York. I uh, thank you very much. Uh, your, I saw your um, 
what you spoke about today really came at a good time for me because I've just eliminated two particular foods uh, from my food plan because they also didn't realize it at first. It took a few weeks till I realized that, you know, my sponsor said, this is probably triggering. But um, I've noticed also that I'm taking a vitamin supplement, you know, and um, I've called the company because I feel like there's something sweet in it. And they told me no. And it says on the bottle, there's no sweet, no, no, nothing. But there seems to be a powderish coating on it that even this morning taking it gives me like a little jolt. You know, not a jolt of sugar, but like a jolt like, I don't know. And it just makes me uncomfortable and a little like shaky-ish in my abdomen. I don't know if you ever came across something like that. Or what would you do as a sponsor? What would you tell a sponsor about? And also... um, does it pay to go and discover what exactly is in that vitamin or just accept it as is that this is just something? Because I'm wondering if maybe if I take something else, like another supplement, that it also trigger, like I should avoid, you know, I'm wondering if I do more investigation because they did call the company. I don't know. Just what would you do? Uh, you know, that's a good, that's, that, 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 that's a good comment and a good question. I, I think I have a similar experience. Um, I'm a preschool teacher, and sometimes uh, my children, you know, when in the, the lunchtime, they ask me to help them to open granola bars or rather, you know, other foods that are packaged. And one day I made a mistake to open them with my, my teeth. I put it in my mouth and I wrapped the wrapper with my teeth. And and just like the, you know, I don't, I don't know that it was the smell of some like invisible powder I inhaled through my, my nose. And I was surprised of how sensitive I am nowadays that I'm clean, now that I'm completely 100% clean, how I could smell the sweetness and it bothered me immensely. It was almost a feeling of pain. So the the fact that you are sensitive to a sweetness from a, a vitamin appeal tells me that, um, that, that, that you're in the process of getting clean. Now, in case of doubt, I just like put it aside. If I have a doubt, I put it aside. I just set it aside. And that's what I was trying to convey when I say my role is becoming clearer and clearer and therefore safer and safer. If there's a doubt, I just set it aside and I just keep walking because it's easier. It's easier, softer way. That's my experience and that's what I do. Thanks. Thank you, Esther. Sarah, your turn. Okay, good morning. This is Sarah. Thank you so much, Marcella, for sharing your story. It's really always amazing to hear you. My question is, you mentioned that Dr. Bob had cravings for two years. So what do you do when you're getting abstinent and you're getting clean and you have cravings? What a wonderful... Yeah, yeah. sorry. Go ahead, that's it. (laughs) What a wonderful, wonderful question. It always amazes me when we read in BL's story, when we know that he went to um, his business trip in Akron, Ohio, and it failed. And then he went, you remember that story when he goes back to the bar and there's, there's talk, and then he feels the craving. He feels like, oh, I want to drink. It always amazes me. He had gone through the process. For all matters of fact, he was recovered already. He doesn't go back to his hotel room to kneel and pray. He doesn't go back to his room to 
be clustered and encapsulating himself and pray that the cravings will be removed. No, he goes out into the world to the phone directory to find another drunk. That's what he does. See, and then and Dr. Bob, Dr. Bob was a compulsive sponsor, if you ask. He was a compulsive, reading the, in Dr.'s Nightmare, in the beginning of the Dr.'s Nightmare, and in, in Alcoholic Number 3, Dr. Bob, he was only sober for 15 years. He had a very short sobriety. Now, we know people now that are 57, 58 years sober. Dr. Bob was only 15 years sober. In those 15 years, he sponsored more than 5,000 people, more than 5,000 different alcoholics. That's more than one alcoholic a day, more than one different alcoholic a day. And that's what he did the first two years. For the first two years now, we're not Dr. Bob, right? There will never be another Dr. Bob. He was a doctor. He was a physician. He will actually sign, you know, the entrance to the detox in, in the hospital. So he will receive the patients to detox. There was only one ticket to that um, detox. You would never go back to that detox unless you were sober. We know that if you read Dr. Bob and the Good Old Timers, we read it's very, very fascinating the way that he was sponsored. Now, I'm not asking you to sponsor a different person every single day of your life. But in, this, in, in case of cravings, the right answer is, it says right in the book, we pause. First of all, we pause. We say, stop, 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 stop. Don't pick up the food, just stop. And then find a way to be useful to others. Find a way to be useful to others. Now, I know so many people, they suffer, right? The other day, a beautiful sponsor of mine, she was sobbing, she was crying, and she said, I'm afraid that I don't have enough time to do the steps because I'm a mom and my children are sick and I work full time and I have to prepare for the Sabbath and it's just like this and that. And she said, well, these are the good news. If you have time to think, you have time to do the steps because the problem is in our mind. So that solution is what we think. Our thinking is twisted and distorted. If you have time to think, you have time to do the steps. So the thinking is the problem, the thinking. So when I feel that I have the craving, the craving is a false signal. The, the craving is a lie. The craving is a lie. Once I pick up the food, I'm living inside of the lie. When I'm living inside of the lie, all of my decisions and all of my thinking are twisted and distorted. All of them. Not some of them. All of them. I'm under that influence. Now I'm thinking dark, somber thoughts, and my life is getting worse and worse and worse and worse by the second, instead of better and better and better. So I have the cravings. Stop. Stop. We pause. When agitated and doubtful, we pause. Pause. Fine. Please, God, please help me. Please grant me the ability to be useful to others. Please grant me the ability to make myself useful to others because our hunger is for the spirit not for the food. Our real hunger is for the experience of the spirit. And what is the spirit? What does the spirit want us to do? What is the will of the spirit? To be useful to others, to practice love and service in our own capacity. I'm not Dr. Bob. I will never be Dr. Commercial I am. What commercial I am do right here, right now, to be of service to others? Well, I'm hearing a vision for you. And then I'll go at 10.15, I have an appointment to listen to a fifth step, a drug addict. I'll do that. 
and then I'll clean my house, and then I'll do my laundry. And I tried to make you a phone. I, I tried to my best. And then I had to take a nap because I had to take a nap and a shower and my yoga class. So make yourself useful. That's the way out. How can I be useful? How can I be witness? How can I bear witness? How can I bring the experience of hope? There is no more hope to say, I was so hungry. I was shaking with the cravings. I almost fainted with the cravings, and I didn't eat. Oh, what a beautiful story. What a beautiful story to share. So, yeah, that's kind of simple. It's so simple that we miss it. Thank you for the question. Yes, thank you, Sarah. And just for clarification, according to the first 164 pages, the text uses the word craving once the substance has been in, ingested. Otherwise, it's the obsession of the mind that we're dealing with. So just something to take note of. And we'll go for our le- last question with Sandy. Thank you, Sandy. Thank you. Um, and thanks uh, for both of you doing so uh, you kind of touched on um, what I wanted to hear more about, and that is uh, when you mentioned, um, and here's, I'm paraphrasing, this is how I, I took it. Um, for me, late at night, I've eaten all my food, and and I want something else. I want something while I'm watching TV, whatever. And you mentioned that I'm not craving food or I'm craving spiritual experience. And I understand that, and I understand what you said about that, and I totally agree. It's working with others. It's talking to someone about the program. It's helping somebody, whatever, whatever. My problem with that is I live alone, and late at night, um, it's not uh, practical to pick up the phone sometimes and call somebody to be of service. So how else? And I also kind of link that with doing the tenth step, you know, um, you know, pray and ask for whatever I'm feeling to be removed, talk to someone about it, um, if I owe an apology, and then look for someone to help. Again, the same thing is how do I help someone? How do I, how am I helpful um, when there's no one around, and, and how can I put that in place? I hope that makes sense. Could you say more about that? It makes perfect sense, but once we join the 12 steps of recovery, we're never alone. We are never, ever, ever alone. In the 24 hours of our day, we are never alone because we depend on one another. In other ways, we kind of like don't have the privilege to live for ourselves anymore. We live for one another. So I do. sometimes I do have that experience too when I'm alone and it's late at night and my husband is sleeping and... and and how can I make myself useful to others? Just the experience, as I said, to just remain abstinent because it's always easier to be abstinent. It's always easier to be abstinent so that I can call in the following morning in a vision for you and I can share sober or attend the meeting sober. That is service. That is, that is doing something for others. I have this beautiful, beautiful experience of a guy that I met in AA and and we received him in my group, in my home group, and he started his, his journey, and he got a 90-day chip, and he was sober and clean for 90 days, and then we didn't see him for one full year. And we just assumed the worst, he's dead, he, he dies, he, he overdoses. Who knows what happened to him? And then a year after, he comes into the meeting fresh, clean, and glowing, just like the big book says, the sparkle in the eye, 
and the fresh skin and glowing and happy. He didn't need to open his mouth because we knew that he was clean and sober. What had happened to him? Sadly, because of the, 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 the wreckage of his past, he had to go to prison. So he went to prison and he didn't have access to us. And he started an AA group there and he shared, you know, he, and then he saved the good news one full year. In, those, in that horrible year that he had to go to prison, he kept the hope of coming back to his home group where he was born to us to say, I didn't see you guys for one full year and I came back to you clean and sober. Is that a beautiful gift? Is that a beautiful, is that bearing witness of the higher power? Is that a wonderful way to do service? To show up the following day, the following morning, the following month, the following year, I'm clean, I'm sober, I got it. The higher power is alive and working in my life. That's beautiful, beautiful service. And all you have to do is wait, just patiently. Thanks. It's 10.01, and I would like to say goodbye pretty soon. Yes. Thank you so much, Marcella. Thank you, Sandy. You were the last question for this morning. Marcella, we thank you so much for your service this morning. Truly an inspiration and a message of hope and possibility for everyone out there. And we thank you. I'm going to close from page 164. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.